0: Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible, a truly magical way to experience your favorite books through oral tradition and storytelling. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash sexmagicpodcast. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash sexmagicpodcast for your free audiobook. Today, we are so excited to have Anna Maria here. She is a bee priestess, farmer, beekeeper, teacher, healer, community builder, and recent mom. (laughs) Anna, thank you so much for being here and chatting with us.
1: Thank you. I am so, so joyed to be here with you and um, really an honor to be included in your podcast.
0: Very Mm -hmm. excited. Isabella and I were chatting before the call. Um, it's really funny. Both of us went through different trainings with you. <laughs> I did the, the Gaia Plant Medicine Apprenticeship Program. And um, Bella, you did the...
2: I did my birth doula training with Anna Maria.
0: Yes,
1: that's right.
2: Oh my yeah. gosh. It's funny how we both, uh, Tosca <laughs> and I, like did these different trainings <laughs> with her. But this is so weird coincidence. We didn't realize uh, when we picked you to be a guest.
1: That's incredible. Wow. I'm blown away at the, just the magic that the universe gives us. That's so awesome. Well, so stoked that um, we have, you know, have had some beautiful, I mean, beautiful and life-changing experiences with each other, right?
2: Totally. Totally. Very transformational.
1: (laughs) Yes.
0: So Anna Maria, do you want to just kind of share with our listeners a little bit about you? Sure. Well, Let's see, uh, I have
1: recently just become a mom, so that's sort of like the first thing on the well the forefront of my mind. Uh, my baby is two months old, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been well, wow, quite a journey to uh, you know leave the maiden of myself. Um, Kind of like in the in another lifetime it seems like and step into this new role of being a mother, and I'm still unpacking everything that it means, of course it's you know a, a lifetime of unpacking, but really that that transition is is very deep and very um, profound, and so I'm trying to give myself grace in terms of um, Just allowing myself to be in the moment and not trying to understand every second of it because a lot of it doesn't make sense (laughs) sometimes. So, aside from motherhood, I have spent the last 10 years working in permaculture, urban farming, beekeeping, and herbalism. And I feel like these last 10 years have been. A real representation of of who I am and and the work I want to commit myself to in in this lifetime before that I was trying to get into medical school and was um, on a very different path in a in an unhealthy relationship for many years and yeah, it just seems like i'm i 'm finding my my groove i 'm finding my um, my path and that feels really beautiful and you know the the blending of all of those um, different projects that I've been working in is all centered around uh, centered around the earth and and protecting Gaia and nourishing community and bringing people back to to her basically so whether it's as a doula or as an herbalist or as a farmer it's all really been um, connecting people back to either themselves or to Gaia or sort of this remembering of, of the feminine really, and all of that. So that's, yeah, a little, (laughs) a little synopsis, I suppose.
2: Wow, I already am just like brimming with a trillion questions. Oh, Isabella <laughs> here for our listeners. Um, if you haven't figured out by my accent yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, with like a trillion questions, I want to talk to you all day. Um, I would love to start with you telling our listeners a little bit about b be priestess work and or be guardianship. Like are they different? Are they the same? Just it, they're just yeah. beautiful lexicon I had never heard before meeting you um, <laughs> and as a lover of all things bee I'm very excited to hear.
1: Mm. well I have not given myself this title of bee priestess it seems like other people have given it to me and so it, I'm I'm treading lightly in how I uh how I express myself in this way it's, it's kind of like a big title I, I feel like but you know my work with honeybees started about seven, eight years ago. And at first it really started as a, you know, kind of part of a farm, you know, the the cycle and, and the contribution of, of farming. And so I was working on an actual farm in Reno and where I'm from. And I was learning there, uh, learning about permaculture and urban farming and how to grow food and what it means to, you know, eat organically. And this was all, all very exciting for me in this new world. And there were hives there. And it was my first encounter with, you know, bee, beekeeping and beehives in general. Up until that point, I was totally afraid of bees like every, you know, most person and most people, you know, they grew up being so terrified. But, um, you know, the, the work started as you know this very traditional old school kind of beekeeping where we're keeping bees in boxes and we want to get honey out of this situation you know honey out of the deal and um, it's morphed into this understanding that bees are really actually these shamanic um, messengers for us and the work that I'm doing now includes a lot of teaching to others in in bee guardianship, which is taking the keeping out of beekeeping, um, because I do not own bees, I do not own nature, and turning it into the practice of being guardians. Just like you know, I, I believe all farmers or earth workers or herbalists or you know naturalists, we're all guardians of Gaia, and so you know we need guardians of these honeybees and. I'm sure many of you have heard all the terrible things that are happening to bees, and they need they need a voice they need someone to speak up for them so the the priestess work tying in is is more of the diving into the spiritual side of how bees teach us to cross other realms and um, how to tap into high, you know higher consciousness. And there's so many layers to explore there. And uh, what I'm finding is that through my apprenticeship program, the women are the ones that are signing up for these courses. I've had a few men, but mostly women. And that just goes to show the um, deep and profound connection, that that feminine um between the feminine and honeybees for thousands of years and you know now being expressed through these women so yeah it's it's so it's so deep I don't know I'm trying my best to yeah to give you the jumping off point I guess (laughs)
0: that's amazing yeah it was so interesting in my research for speaking with you I was looking and literally every culture that I was finding in mythology and like pagan practices it was women or the mother goddess or just like these really feminine um like archetypes that were connected to bees and I just find that so interesting and that kind of leads me to my next question like the actual process of pollination and the bee journey Mm -hmm. is really erotic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, So I wonder if you could speak the actual journey of the bees. Oh,
1: beautiful. Okay. Well, I mean, it all starts with
0: the queen who
1: there's one queen per hive and when she's born she's called a virgin queen and she goes on her maiden flight and she mates with as many males as possible and the males are called drones and she finds this the drone hangout spot she knows this like somehow you know in her mind as she's just come into the world uh, and all the drones know where to go and congregate in a certain area Uh, usually about 30 to 40 feet above the ground and they kind of hang out there waiting and so she arrives she mates with as many as possible and um, after each drone mates with a queen he dies because all of his reproductive organs are pulled out and he falls to his death and it's all very dramatic and she goes back to the hive with all of this genetic material now (laughs) and um you know, she can lay up to 2,000 eggs a day and that's her main job. She's laying eggs all day long. And, you know, beekeepers, like old school beekeepers, really see the queen as just for production and the drones just for their sperm. Um, But really the both of them are encouraging and making sure that their lineage uh, continues on forever and so the queen uh, she lays an egg she can decide if it's going to be male or female and so if it's going to be female she fertilizes fertilizes the egg and that becomes a worker which are all the bees that you see out out on flowers out foraging in the world and if it's to be a drone she lays an unfertilized egg which is a, a genetic copy of her So then we have all these beautiful sister bees, you know, they have different jobs throughout their lifetime from cleaning to raising the young to um, taking care of the queen. And in their last stage of life, they go out and forage and they're looking for nectar and pollen and propolis and all of these beautiful, beautiful um, gifts that I like to call them from Gaia they bring back to the hive and they alchemize into what we know as honey or propolis that a lot of us have taken, you know, for supplements and even pollen. And there's so much magic in each step of the way. Um, if you think about a bee and if you've ever seen a bee on a flower, um, it's really just like this beautiful love song, <laughs> love interaction, Um you know, drinking up sweet nectar and and rubbing yourself in pollen and pollen is like these little fragments of sunlight and flowers. And um, it's all very like, there's so much, so much beauty in it. And the process of turning nectar into honey is just, is also magic that, that the bees perform. And you know everything. I think that poets have talked about, and when they think of like love making or um, the nectar of of the the feminine, it's all pretty much based on, I think, on bees and pollination. Um, and as it should be. I mean, Gaia has created everything in in all of these perfectly beautiful ways, and so. It's, it doesn't leave me surprised that this process is so somewhat miraculous, you know?
0: I am just so inspired by bees. Oh my God. <laughs> the ability to flow in community and just live in love is so present in the bees. Mm-hmm. Like I just, I need to learn more from them. <laughs> Definitely. Also, yeah. I really admire the male's tenacity
2: of like I will sacrifice every part of myself just to make love with you. It's amazing, right?
1: And often when I when I tell uh, that story, um, a lot of the the male students like to joke like, "Oh, well, that's the best way to go, right?" <laughs> like, <laughs> and, I mean, heck yeah, it is <laughs> yeah, the best way to go, um, and. I you know it's it's really interesting to like think about about that in particular like why the male is sacrificed and you know why does he fall to his death and you know you can unpack that for hours the meaning of that but i think it really just goes to show that the matriarchal you know um structure and the feminine of of Gaia and uh, throughout all time has has always you know demanded that reverence and um, it's it just seems like somewhat perfect that it's it 's carried out through that way as well and uh, the the community aspect i think that 's why part of the reason why a lot of people are turning to bees right now and becoming more interested in in working with bees because of that. Um, sense of community and selflessness and I think people really need that right now if they're not finding it in their own lives they can definitely find it you know working with bees
2: I wonder like I'm like Tosca was saying I'm so inspired just hearing that that snippet of about bees so i'm wondering what advice do you think that bees have for us and our sexuality like what lessons could we take from them and apply in our own lives mm,
1: I, no one has ever asked me that before Huzzah! <laughs> that is a beautiful question well so okay it takes like, basically one bee creates one twelfth of a teaspoon of honey in her entire life. And it takes a million flowers to be visited to create a pound of honey. And, you know, I think that in terms of the the sexuality and how we express ourselves that way, it's probably that everything should be done with the with intention and our experiences should be done with, um, with respect for ourselves and each other. And, and that there's so much sweetness in intimacy and sexuality that we should not forget probably. And that um, everything takes time. Everything that's good takes time. Hmm. I'm, I'm reflecting a little bit more on that. Um, yeah, that just the, the sweetness of, of connection in, you know, in any, in any form is one of the greatest gifts that we have as humans. And it's not to be taken advantage of. And um, yeah, I think
0: I like that. <laughs> Mm, I like that too. <laughs> There's just so many layers of symbolism in the mm-hmm. bee process. Like I, I think of as you described the was it the virgin queen? Mm-hmm. Like when she's in her virgin stage when she takes her maiden voyage,
1: yeah.
0: And how that is so tied with obviously like the maiden archetype. That we work with a lot in like the pagan tradition, you know, associated with like, you know, springtime and fertility. And as you spoke about, like, something you've gone through recently with transitioning from maiden to mother, and that's the transition the bees go through too. Right. Um, I wonder, what is your relationship with like the goddess and like yeah the goddess energy and I know that you have a uh, Greek origin so I'm wondering if that plays a part in it as well
1: well it I was raised you know very like orthodox Christian and so those those tales of um the gods and goddesses were things that I I did grow up learning but they were just like the mythology that you know my people believed in a long time ago um you know I didn't have any teachers growing up to explain or you know show me the um, the different meanings of these gods and goddesses and and how they could affect our lives today and <clears throat> I think that well, I know that working with bees was the first introduction for me to start exploring that because it really awakened uh that side of me and i i think about my sexuality and um how i was so uncomfortable expressing it for most of my life because of my strict upbringing and really within the last 10 years of working closely with the earth and the seasons and the bees and the plants you know those were all somewhat the the gateways for me to start looking towards, um, the goddess and the other, uh, goddesses. And now they really represent, um, for me, I guess, different ways that I, how do I say this? They show me, uh, parts of myself that, I have suppressed for a really long time and give me the freedom to then feel comfortable in being me. And, um, you know, it, it feels more, it feels just, I don't know like the Christian God did not help me in that way, you know, and the goddess really brings me into myself and, reaffirms my my work and really makes me feel like I am an important part of of all of this all of this meaning you know the world (laughs) that we live in the the ethos the the universe and I I feel connected in that way
0: That's really beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I just want to like take a moment to take that in. (laughs) (laughs) To all our Sex Magic podcast lovers, we are so excited to share with you our collaboration with Audible. For all our listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. And hit us up if you need a few book recs. You can DM us on Instagram or send us an email. What are you going to listen to? To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash sexmagicpodcast. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like you know we we all are raised like you know with different religions and spiritual beliefs, and what our parents share with us is often different than what we end up maybe believing in and we discover new things along the way um, but I really feel like nature is such a wonderful teacher in sexuality because of just mm-hmm. how how wild it is and how free of shame and there is no suppression of desire it's just like unapologetically pollinating all the time like right. <laughs> and it's just so amazing and i don't know if like i feel like every religion every spiritual culture could turn to the earth for maybe a little bit of guidance in mm-hmm. in that department <laughs> Absolutely. Like
1: there was, I studied world religions in college, and I remember learning uh, a few, about a few religions that really uh, incorporate more of nature and being stewards of the earth into their, um, you know, their, their daily practice. And Judaism comes to mind, I often you know give this example that they have a whole holiday you know committed and dedicated to planting trees yeah. and i mean just those those little things are are not little they're they're grand and they're beautiful and they ensure that people stay rooted and connected to to nature and yeah i i didn't i didn't get that in in my particular setting and and maybe someone else of my religion had a different experience but um, you know there you speak to like the how primal it can feel, and really following the seasons and putting your hands in soil and looking at flowers all day can be and has been for me very like erotic at times and and not in the way that we you know think of maybe erotic, but it really is like a fire within you a reawakening and I think that's probably how we all lived at one point and can you imagine if more people lived closer to to the land and even just spent time with their hands in the soil those those feelings would come back and we probably wouldn't have as much grief and, and sadness as we do now and Yeah, pollination. It's all sex.
2: (laughs) Oh, it's so good. I'm wondering, as a lot of illnesses can't make the transition where they would start a regenerative agriculture property and Mm -hmm. care for bees and that really important way. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, do you have any advice for people that maybe live in an apartment in the city or, you know, just don't have those access to those type of resources? What can they do to help care for bees and like express their love and gratitude towards bees? Mm. I fucking love bees and I want to make sure I'm doing everything I can do. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, I will say that, um, you know, for for folks living in the urban environment luckily there one thing comes to mind is like a project i worked on where we were starting. We started an urban farm within a housing community, and these these developers are now looking to include agri-hoods into their design of communities, which is really really amazing. And so, I was teaching a lot of families, you know, how to grow food, and and beekeeping was part of that. And so, even if you don't have a an hood or you don't live in one, um, you know, one of the best things to do in terms of kind of like that rewilding or reconnecting is finding nature, of course. And I recommend sitting with a tree or a plant and just kind of closing your eyes and and feeling that. And then in terms of taking care of, uh, or excuse me, in terms of um, showing your love and appreciation for bees, you know, we all like to eat honey And some most often that that is like our only connection to bees. And so I implore everyone to buy honey from a local beekeeper to shop at a farmer's market and not buy honey from a big box store because it's not honey after all, it's corn syrup, which, you know, just further increases that kind of um, treachery in the beekeeping world and also to be really committed to uh, planting flowers if you have any kind of plot of land or if you work in a community garden make sure that there's you know native plants and pollinating plants that bloom year-round and uh, there's actually a lot of a lot of beekeepers now around um, the urban environment and so you can always take a class and also encourage your children and teach little ones to be not afraid of bees because it just, you know, perpetuates this fear that we have of them that is really irrational. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) you know, children should grow up loving bees and loving all creatures and, um, you know, teaching healthy boundaries there's so much learning in that. You know, we don't swat at bees, we just remain calm. And so there's a lot of, you know, a lot of teaching there. And what else do I want to say? Um, you know, buying things like um, royal jelly and in cosmetics is something I do not approve of just because of the way in which royal jelly is extracted from the hive. Even though it's really good for your wrinkles, like there's so many other. Incredible compounds out there that will help uh, keep you full, and uh, pollen that we like to put on our acai bowls and smoothies. Again, I would encourage you to buy it from a, a local beekeeper, and um, yeah, we want to make sure that finally we everything that we buy is a vote, and every time you don't buy organic food. You're voting for a terrible conventional monoculture. And so I highly encourage everyone to consider eating organically.
2: That's beautiful. It's so important as well for us to always be really mindful with what we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of like, yeah, maybe that is fantastic for your wrinkles, but that's not really important compared to the health and wellness of bees. (laughs) Like, yeah why are your wrinkles so important yeah
0: they're doing really important work so (laughs) there's other things (laughs) I really like all of the advice that you've given us and I I do want to ask because I've used honey in magic before Mm -hmm. in spells Mm -hmm. um so I guess like two-part question one (laughs) what are some ways that you like to use honey in a ceremonious um maybe like spell work kind of way Mm -hmm. and is there a way to use it in our witchcraft practice that's more sustainable Mm, okay
1: well I have Brought honey into a few women's circles that I've hosted. And one of the rituals we did was to, um, so we're sitting in a circle and look to the woman on our right or left, whichever direction we chose, and applying honey to her lips and saying, uh, May the sweetness of, of you and us together come forth and may you walk you know, forth in, um, in sweetness. And, you know, there was other words like that, but, um, applying honey to someone else's lips is very, very beautiful and, um, really, really <laughs> potent. Uh, you know, it seems somewhat jarring at first for, for, you know, doing it with a stranger, but it turns out to be this most beautiful, sensual experience. And I also, you know, I also incorporate honey in in uh, lovemaking and sharing with my partner, and um, I really love putting honey on my altar for my ancestors. It's so representative of um, just the the sweetness that can continue on uh, in someone's memory, even if they're not here, you know, physically with us anymore. And there are many beautiful uh, plants that honey loves to meld with. And, you know, rose, of course, comes to mind right away. Uh, honey with rose is like just so divine. It's like you're, you're smelling this most in- intoxicating um, aroma. And... mm yeah, honey is so special, and it's really magic in itself, and, you know, in in medicine making, um, sometimes a lot of recipes call for a lot of honey, and it can be expensive to buy, and so sustainably, I would suggest starting your own hive, if you have the option. One hive can give you 50 to 80 pounds of honey in a year, which is a lot. Wow. <laughs> yeah, um and so find a piece of land where you can have a hive and and do it that way or you know most definitely again shop from a a local beekeeper and you know local beekeepers are like myself have you know maybe a hundred hives or less and so you know what we do is really small scale and it's quite expensive at some times to um for the equipment and so you know, supporting local beekeepers is one way that you can help their livelihood and ensure that there's a, a supply of honey. Um, and then there are some countries that have lots of hives, and it just seems like they have honey coming out of their ears. You know, I think of like um, some some of the Middle Eastern countries and Australia. They they just beekeeping is really big there. So even though it's you know you're using carbon to ship things from across the world, but um, those are, you know, just finding sources of, of beekeepers that have integrity and, you know, not buying from, um, you know, more commercial operations. So,
2: mm. yeah. I would love to switch tracks a little bit, mm-hmm. um, because anna Maria and I started our journey together as birth doulas. I would love to hear a little bit about your journey with conscious conception
1: mm-hmm. and
2: childbirth and everything like that. Like, I believe you did a home birth.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yes. So I'd love to hear about that. And of course, any intersections between like bees and did they inspire any of that? Like the conscious conception or just tell me everything. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, I guess the story goes back to when I was
1: uh, studying to go to medical school, I, I wanted to be an OB or I was thinking about being a pediatrician. And so it was always sort of in that realm of, of pregnancy or of working with mamas and um, yeah, the, the connection to to children i guess was always there for me i always volunteered with children and you know was a nanny and things like that and and uh i didn't get into medical school which was really heartbreaking and even though i uh, tried a couple times and didn't have any issues with my resume it was really it was really heartbreaking and you know years later as i've been farming and found herbalism uh as a way to Connect myself again with healing in not a traditional way like an MD. I started exploring birth again and um, you know, realized that there were more women becoming doulas and more women choosing midwives over OBs. And so that was very exciting. And I did my training and it really just kind of blew open this new way of thinking for me which, again, was so previously rooted in traditional practice of going to the hospital and having, you know, an induction and talking about episiotomies. And, you know, your baby goes right into the nursery after you have, you know, birth. And there's this time of separation and all of these things that have become so common and so um, accepted and acceptable. And so, after that doula training, I have just become a totally different person. And I thank the thank goddess that I am not an MD, because I would be so miserable, uh, you know, existing in that kind of environment that is downright abusive to women. And um, so I knew that my birth was uh, not going to be that way if I had any control over the situation. And I did everything I could to empower myself um, and prepare myself for home birth. And again, luckily, I, that doula training, you know, really an attending birth. Really has given me an advantage over some other women who go into birth their own their own labor experience for the first time, but me seeing uh, women give birth was um, a wonderful foundation that really helped me articulate like what I did and did not want in my own and um, you really cannot like understand what it feels like until you go through it, you know, even though I saw these women give birth and I studied it, I, the actual emotion and, and the feeling and the sensation that goes into it is, um, I mean, I, you just can't, you can't, it's different for everyone and you can't even sometimes explain, um, what it feels like. And so anyway, my home birth was, I'm so lucky that everything worked. Smoothly, there was no complications. My baby came, you know, uh, a few days before his due date, and he uh, was eager to get into the world. My labor and delivery, and his arrival was only four and a half hours, (laughs) which is wild for a first time mother, you know. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, what's, what was kind of amazing is I was, uh, the night that he, uh, the, the night I went into labor, he, um, he was really heavy on my mind. And I was looking at the stars and I said, are you out there, baby? I'm re- I'm really waiting for you and ready. And I saw a shooting star. And then it was like an hour later that I went into labor. <laughs> so, um, oh my gosh. <laughs> I it was yeah it was so so wild so anyway um I was somewhat in shock that everything was happening so fast the first hour I mean my contractions were like really intense like immediately and really close to each other and you know my partner was wonderful and um we called the midwife and she's like oh I'm coming we're not waiting and she was an hour away we you know I didn't mention we recently moved out to Anza where we um, are somewhat remote and on our little 40-acre plot and the nearest town is uh, an hour away. So she hops in the car, she gets here. I'm already like to eight or nine centimeter dilation and an hour later we're pushing and baby is there. And, you know, it was so many... So many beautiful um, moments that i I remember where um, I had prepared a board with all these pictures of my grandmother's and my own mother, and I had been praying to them throughout my whole pregnancy to give me strength and guidance and be there with me as I um, was in labor and luckily um, Well, luckily my partner was like able to get everything set up, um, except for that board. (laughs) I had everything together in a pile, but because baby came so fast, like the tub wasn't set up yet. Nothing was, nothing was set up. And so his main thing was like getting the tub set up and, uh, and getting a candle lit. So that's like, I had all these lofty dreams of setting a birth altar and all these things, but anyway, but I remember um, praying very, very deeply and really being in a state of, um, you know, really crossing over into the other realm and feeling like I wasn't really even in my body. And I knew that if I could just let go and not try to control the situation, then my body would do everything it needed to do. and. It was really, really beautiful because that's exactly what happened. I was like watching my body do all of this work and, um, and I just kept praying and my grandmothers arrived and I was just so, my grandmothers have passed. So I should clarify, you know, they were here in spirit and really gave me the strength, um, in some moments where I was afraid, (sighs) That baby wasn't coming fast enough even though uh he was going very fast time just kind of like melts and you don't really have this awareness like you normally would um but the power of uh prayer and the power of our our grandmothers and our our ancestors was so present and um yeah it was I didn't have any tears I didn't have any issues and um I'm just. I feel so lucky that I can I can say that about my birth story and that my baby had a peaceful transition, although fast <laughs> and hurried <laughs> into the world. But we, you know, we didn't have to be separated. We went straight into our bed and didn't leave for forty days. And um, you know, I just I feel so lucky. And um, not all women get that experience or get, you know, um, a birth that is not traumatic and, um, kind of reawakened in me a desire to return to birth work. So maybe in the next few years, that will be my, my path. Um, wow. Yeah.
0: That was like the first time that I've been like, I had to hit mute just because I was crying so much. Me too. (laughs) You were like, and then the board of my grandmother's, I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Uh, I really feel the energy and intention of every little part of your birth story. Mm, Thank you. It's so beautiful and really inspiring. If I ever do it, I want to do it like you did.
1: (laughs) Well, I, I tell you, I've read so many books and I spent a lot, I just, I really spend a lot of time in prayer and I, I spent a lot of time visualizing, um, baby crossing over and, and really practicing like relinquishing control in, you know, in my everyday life and, um, also just in, in prayer and meditation. And, and I think that really helped, um, and if if you do meditate, it really gives you a good platform and to stay focused and to really you know block out everything that's happening around you and um i I really feel like that that helped me stay in the moment and stay committed um to the to the the work I had to do you know um, yeah <sighs>
2: after <I'm emotional. laughs> we're all crying for our (laughs) listeners like all three of us (laughs) were sobbing um was there a moment post-birth where like a gentle swarm of bees came and like gently a on yourself (laughs) and your son's face and like helped bring a little cloth for you and a sip of water oh I wish (laughs) uh I did
1: go and see the bees um I was actually with the bees earlier that day and um I was out there. Sometimes I like to just go sit with the the hives and, um, I was with them earlier and, you know, the, the, the queen bee really teaches us a lot about motherhood in that it is so much sacrifice. And I am learning that so clearly. I mean, just in two months already, that your life is not your, your own anymore. And, um, and it's, it's beautiful i mean there's some resistance of course here and there but the queen you know she is day in and day out just taking care of her her children and and ensuring her lineage continues and here we are as mothers you know doing the best that we can every day to take care of our babies and and uh really sacrificing anything else you know um we, we can't do it all. And I'm realizing that we're not supposed to do it all as mothers. And um, that's why community is so important. And the postpartum period, uh, the bees really can also show us that the maidens are the ones that take care of the queen. And, uh, you know, the queen doesn't feed herself, the maidens feed her, all the, the workers, as we call them. And even in the the postpartum period for me, I have definitely felt um, some depression and some loneliness. And, you know, given that we're somewhat, you know, rural and I'm not in the hustle and bustle everyday of everyday life in the city and um, community is so important for mothers after giving birth. And if not for the physical needs, but the mental and emotional needs, because you do not have the same um almost like the same toolkit to survive as as you did once before and it really is it makes a difference when you have people nurturing you and the bees do that for each other and they show us how to do that they show us women how to do that so um i mean they're just bees really are just perfect representations of of how we should be living
2: <laughs> in all aspects. Wow. <sighs> this has been such a powerful episode. I already just want a whole nother
0: one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Can we interview you again?
1: <laughs> I'm so thankful. Thank you for letting me share. Really, really feels good. Um,
0: I... I would love to ask one more question before our final one, and that is about sex magic since we are the Hell sex magic yeah. podcast. <laughs> I'm just curious if you have or have had a sex magic practice and um, what that has looked like.
1: You know, I, uh, yes, I, I love the partner now. Um well, you did ask me about the conscious conception, and I, I feel like that is um pretty magical. There's a lot of magic that goes into that uh, there's two layers i'll I'll speak to you know really speaking um to the soul of this of your partner um or whoever you're intimate with, um, I have often you know experienced where my soul and the soul of my partner was you know in a different realm and while we were physically intimate there was um there was our souls you know in this garden and that, you know so many other beautiful images but for me that kind of um meditation and removing myself is so potent. And that connection is so powerful. And um, for the for conscious conception, I I feel like that is like the ultimate definition of such sex magic. I mean, um, I had been speaking to my, my baby for many years. And um, with my partner, we Prayed for a long time, and and then you know decided together one night that we were going to do this, and that it was time. And it was almost like you know, as as it was happening, I could I could feel the baby, I could feel his spirit be you know being there with us and joining me in my body. And um, yeah, I mean that was like the most magical. Experience I've ever had. Um, yeah, uh, other things with sex magic. I um, I really believe that you know women should have women should really feel comfortable in exploring themselves and having their own um, intimacy with themselves. I experienced that early on, a very young age. And I remember um, this goes back to like feeling so constricted and not able to express myself through a lot of my young adulthood. But I was always the the girl in my group of girlfriends that wanted to talk about sex or wanted to ask someone else if they had, you know, explored themselves in certain ways. And um it's so potent, you have to um if if you have a connection with your body and you can feel intimate with yourself and create these um, create this practice where intimacy is so different than experiencing it with someone else um it is so magical, and you not just feel the physical pleasure but you feel all of this um this deep connection to to everything around you and also this like confidence in yourself and this, um, knowing that you are worth, um, you are worth pleasure and you are worth happiness and every day should feel like that moment, you know, you shouldn't have to just, you shouldn't have to wait for someone else to give it to you or to experience it with someone else. And so, um, yeah, that's been a a big part of my my sex magic, personal intimacy.
0: It's <laughs> so. so beautiful, and I mean, we talk about this a lot on the podcast. <laughs> how important self pleasure is. I think what is, what is that episode we have? Self pleasure is self care. Yeah, think. absolutely. Um, but yeah, that is really beautiful. Thank you. and I love the
2: concept of carrying it through your everyday life that's sort of what we touch on in Tantra mm-hmm. and it really ties back into what we were speaking of earlier in the episode I think of being extremely mindful with your purchases mm-hmm. and sort of voting with your money I think it's the same way in that we can vote for what we believe in in the choices that we make throughout the day so even doing everyday tasks, if we can find a little bit of pleasure in them, they become alchemized and transformed.
1: Yes. And I I will say that um, when I'm, when I feel most alive and when I feel in alignment, it is when I see things around me with that same feeling inside that same sense of wonderment and same sense of pleasure like you know if it's a flower if it's a tree if it's a, another human walking by and and I I will be honest I have definitely felt disconnected from that kind of um that that vibration um and in the while, the pregnancy was somewhat challenging but um it is my goal to kind of get back to that um that sense of awe and wonder and pleasure in my daily life and bring it back into my partnership and yeah I do miss it and I miss um I really want to push the the envelope I'm ready to take my that that magic to the next level yeah
0: (laughs) get it (laughs) (laughs) so that brings me I guess to our final question and this is something that we ask all of our guests. And mm-hmm. if, if you could give your younger self one piece of advice about sexuality, spirituality, the combination of the two, what would that little piece of advice be?
1: Well, I, hmm. I think that what comes to mind is um, this concept and feeling and feeling of shame was really present in my young uh, adulthood. And if I could go back and talk to my younger self and do it differently, I would tell her that that kind of exploration and desire is not shameful. And that, um, so many spiritual moments um more more profound spiritual moments have been through sexuality for me and yeah that I shouldn't have to feel embarrassed or afraid or or even ashamed really of how strong my desire was and also, how I wanted to express myself as a, a sexual woman um, was very suppressed. And so, um, yeah, I would tell her, don't be afraid and work it and and bring it into my into my life and and embrace it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much, Anna Maria. This has been such a wonderful episode. It's <laughs> so
2: incredible. I already can't wait to listen back to it. Like I am want to listen to it on repeat. <laughs> I might
0: edit this like immediately.
1: <laughs> I love you ladies. It's been such oh, a my. joy and really such, such wonderful medicine to, um, to talk with you during this time in my life and, and to be welcomed in this space. And I really am so grateful to be heard in in this way and to share my story so love Mm, you you. you. so much love and gratitude it is our
2: pleasure and for anyone listening that has felt really like activated inspired by this episode be sure to check out Anna Maria but also specifically it's um Desert Bloom Farm is that right
1: Yes, so we um, we live on Desert Bloom Farm. This is our latest project between my partner and I. We're starting a permaculture education uh, farm. And so you can find us, Desert Bloom Farm, on Instagram and Facebook, or you can also find me at The Honey Bee Hub. Um, my website has all kinds of information that includes any trainings um, that were coming up in the springtime. And at Desert Bloom, we have a whole host of uh, events happening next year, from women's gatherings to permaculture trainings and bee-centric events. So please follow us and come visit and come see the bees. There are bees here. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Thank you.
0: Hey there, Tosca here. So I wanted to take a quick moment to share with you all about how you can support the Sex Magic Podcast. If you haven't already, you should follow us on Instagram. We also have a Facebook page. Pretty much everything is under Sex Magic Podcast. You can also find us at sexmagicpodcast.com and we have all of our links there. But most importantly, we recently launched our Patreon and it's really important to support us because our collective of co-hosts offers a diverse perspective on sex and magic. Though we each come from various backgrounds and cultures, our unifying passion is to empower and explore sexuality, spirit, and the occult in a safe and approachable environment. Each week we offer a new episode on a fresh subject in the realm of spirituality and sexuality. We interview a variety of guests from authors to psychologists to witches and beyond. We strive to share content that is educational, inspirational, and mystical. So join us on our journey through sex magic by supporting the work we do. Every dollar goes towards propelling us forward and will allow us to continue creating podcasts. By supporting our podcast, you'll join our community and be part of the conversation. Our Patreon patrons will gain access to various resources, rituals, recipes, and behind the scenes access. With more funding for our sex magic podcast, Coven can dedicate more time to crafting sacred offerings to our supporters. Sex magic courses, videos, spell books. And we really would love for you to be part of our sexy little coven. So I also wanted to take a moment to shout out a few of the patrons we have so far. Shout out to Melina Beatrice and to... Meredith Andrews. Thank you so, so much. And also a shout out to my boyfriend and to my mom. Thanks y'all for supporting. It means a lot. <laughs> so follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, our website, and support us on Patreon. We love you and we want to continue offering these amazing podcast episodes and we're so grateful to do that and have your support.